This is Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. You can catch the show live weekdays from 3 o'clock until 4, locally in Tampa Bay on AM 570 and 910 WTBN and online at letstalkfaith.com and iheartradio.com. And swing by our website for all things I Work For Him at iworkforhim.com. That's iwork4him.com. And now, today's podcast broadcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Hey, thanks for tuning into I Work For Him this afternoon. As you hear us so many different ways, just know, however you hear us, whether you're hearing us live, rebroadcast, or potentially out there on a podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Music, or Stitcher, just know that we've prayed for you. Know that we have really focused our time on just saying, Lord, just this is your show. Help us to communicate with those that are listening, being led by your Holy Spirit. And as we talk about this subject today, just understand that I Work For Him is on the air to just to encourage you and me as we approach our workplaces you and i work alongside people who don't know jesus some people don't know they don't even know his name but most people know his name but they don't really know the real jesus so as we recognize that our workplace is our mission field we also need to recognize the fact that you and me we may be the only jesus our co-workers and employees may ever meet and that is so important because those people need to meet Jesus. They need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we need to tell them how. And evangelism just starts with us loving them unconditionally right where they're at and earning that relationship so we have the opportunity to share from our hearts and our minds how Jesus has impacted our lives and what the power of salvation has done in your life. So don't walk away from that opportunity. Embrace that opportunity. And just see what the Lord can do with a willing heart. You know, today we're going to talk about leadership. We talk about leadership all the time, but so many people think that leadership is for people running companies or people running churches or people running whatever. But I'm going to tell you this, that if you have influence over one person, you are a leader. And as we talk about leadership all the time, do we ever really get it? You know, and as we study the most powerful leader ever to have lived, Jesus Christ. What what was Jesus trying to set as an example? What was his leadership style? How do we perfect what Jesus's leadership style was when we live here in a very imperfect world and he was perfect? How do we live out our faith as we lead others? Today, we're going to talk with Hans Finzel about his brand new book, Top 10 Ways to Be a Great Leader. And ladies and gentlemen, I read a lot of books. I read a lot of books. 45 this year so far this book was very impactful because it talks about servant leadership in a way that it very rarely is it talked about it was humbling to read and i know you're going to love this discussion hans finzel welcome back to i work for him thank you so much jim great to be with you again today it's a privilege to have you on, Hans, and I'm just grateful for your serving, your servanthood, your leadership, and, and i just love to get your perspective. As you've heard about our show now for several months this year, how does the I Work For Him message resonate with you? Oh, I love your message. Uh, I'm a huge believer that we need more uh, ministering professionals than professional ministers. You know what I'm saying? And I think that any one of you that's listening that's in the workplace being a witness for Jesus, you're, you're working for him. You're a ministering professional. You haven't had to go to Bible college or seminary to make a huge impact. So I love your message. I totally resonate with it. 
Mm, wow, thank you. It, it's exciting to be able to present it. I just got to spend four days in Chicago with a group of people really celebrating evangelism, and Martha and I and several other people from the Faith and Work movement got to uh, speak to people and, and talk to people, both pastors and missionaries and business people, uh, about the power of the workplace and in, in really pursuing and and growing the evangelism effort in our country and it was so it was just so much fun it, it just yeah can i just say uh, you know please. my wife and i were i am a seminary graduate and i my wife and i were missionaries for 10 years in europe and in those 10 years i noticed a lot of people in the workplace christians in the workplace had a lot more impact than we professional missionaries because they had exposure and contact with the lost and with the people that needed Jesus. And oftentimes the pastors and the missionaries are kind of isolated and insulated. That's why Jesus said, you know, be in the world but not of the world. That's why, again, I love your message and what you're talking about. But it's such a tough concept, though, Hans, because so many people really, they, they, they've heard, they go to church on Sunday, and yet there's such a big disconnect with Monday. And, and as a yeah. leader, you've been a leader for a lot of years. How did you ever make that transition? Who helped you make that trans- transition to, to keep from being compartmentalized in your faith? I don't know. My wife and I both have have, uh, just been passionate about having non-Christian friends, being involved in uh, non-Christian activities so that we're, you know, just out of the Christian bubble. I think there was a time we lived inside that bubble, but we got convicted that Jesus, if... Uh, if he were walking around Earth today, he wouldn't be hanging out in the Christian bubble. He'd be out there in the marketplace. He'd be out there where the lost people are. And I don't know, somewhere along the journey, my wife and I got real convicted about that. So we've made just a practice of, um, of course, in in her business, we have a lot of exposure to to non-Christians. But yeah, we just stay out of the bubble. And uh, we love the bubble on Sundays when we get a chance to go to church. But that's really, uh, Jesus wants us to be in the world and make an impact and live out our faith through our jobs. And some of the people, Jim, that I see having the greatest impact for Jesus are business owners, honestly. Christian business owners who are glorifying God through their business, and it's a witness and a testimony to the employees of the business as well as the customers. So I just Mm -hmm. think that's a huge piece of kingdom impact. Yeah, and it was fun to talk with all these, you know, church leaders, seminary leaders, missionaries, business people. It was fun to talk to them about the exponential impact if we would all just work together. Because we all have a piece, we all have a part in the kingdom. We all have a part in building the body of Christ. And when you see a pastor and his eyes light up, we had one go, listen, I understand this. It was a young guy. He goes, I get this. We need you. This is, this is, I need to support you. You guys are the ones actually in the trenches every day. Uh, and, and some pastors are still learning it. So, but it's, it's fun to work as a team because the body of Christ is more powerful when we work together as a team. Absolutely. Mm. All right. So you wrote a brand new book this year, top 10 ways to be a great leader. And I want to know, there are like, I don't know, probably 1.2 billion books out there on leadership. Yeah. Okay. Why a book on leadership? Why is it you thought Hans Finzel could write the book that nobody else has written? 
Well, and I thought you were going to say, why another book on leadership? <laughs> because there are so many leadership books out there. So people ask me, okay, that is my niche. Leadership is my brand. And many people know me from my bestseller, The Top Ten Mistakes Leaders Make, which has been around for a long time. Uh, this is my 10th book, and I think it's my sixth leadership book. Uh, first of all, I want you to, to I want to say to you that I love leadership, the topic, because leaders make things happen. And I've become convicted, and by observation, in 30 years of working with leaders, being a leader myself, a Christian leader in ministry, studying leadership, getting my doctorate in the field, that the world has more bad leaders than good leaders, and the church often has the most dysfunctional leaders of, of any organization. And so my passion is to correct that problem. And, and what I did with this particular book, Top Ten Ways to Be a Great Leader, is I looked back over 30 years in leadership, being a leadership uh, CEO myself for 20 years, as well as teaching leadership in many grad school courses, having my doctorate in the field. I said, what are the 10 essential skills every effective leader really needs to master. And this, Jim, I would say is a book filled with wisdom. You've read it. Now, because I'm in my 60s, I think I have a whole lot more wisdom than I had 20, 30 years ago. So I've tried to put the cookies on the lower shelf for anybody interested in leadership in any arena and really answer the question, what are the 10 most important things I should really pay attention to if I'm going to be an effective leader. So when you were a younger leader, say 30 years ago, did you find yourself leading from your natural leadership as opposed to uh, maybe your, I don't know, is there a difference to how people really lead? I mean, some people have natural leadership ability. Were you one of those guys? Yes, I, I do have natural leadership ability. Uh, and the question many people ask me is kind of behind what you just asked me. Are leaders born or are they made? And I think the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Both. Hans, as you wrote this book, right at the beginning, you talked about, you know, there's, there's as we mentioned right before the break, some leaders are born, some leaders are made. Yet when leaders lead from their natural ability, sometimes that can cause some major issues, can't it? Oh, absolutely. One of my leadership axioms is that if you do what comes naturally, you'll be a poor leader. Because think about it, naturally we are selfish. We are self-centered people. And that's not great leadership. And people hate working and under leaders that are all about themselves and their big egos. So you're absolutely right. If you do what comes natural, you won't be a great leader. Now, people are born with, some people are born with natural leadership abilities. That's kind of something different. And that's when you, uh, you kind of have a certain charisma, a personality that kind of attracts people to yourself and to your leadership. But I think it's more important what you learn than what you're born with. And I don't think anybody should use the excuse I'm not a natural-born leader, so I'm, I, I shouldn't be in leadership, because I've seen so many great leaders in this world, in the church and ministry, who, who wouldn't naturally have that kind of bent, that personality, that right. charisma. But to me, leadership is influence. And you can influence people powerfully, whether or not you have the personality of a leader. Well, and I think that what I, I, I like to describe those kinds of people as reluctant leaders. They're, they're, not, they're not stepping up in the forefront. People that are naturally born leaders, this is my opinion, they tend, to, they tend to love the limelight. They tend to love to be in the front, leading the pack. 
the natural, the the uh, reluctant leaders who need training to be leaders often end up being the most humble kind of people. Yeah, and as you know, I use Moses as an illustration in this book, uh, one of my examples. And uh, Moses, you know, it says in the book of Numbers, there was no more humble man on the face of the earth. And I've often thought about why uh, God wanted Moses so bad for that job. And at the burning bush, you know, when, when God is recruiting Moses for this massive leadership assignment to take the children of Israel out of Egypt to the Promised Land, and Moses says, no, you got the wrong guy. You talking to me? You are making a big mistake, God. And he gives him five excuses why God's made a mistake. He's a reluctant leader. And I say reluctant leaders make the best leaders. And I think ultimately the reason God wanted Moses so badly is because he was the perfect person because he was both Egyptian and Jewish. You know, he knew the Egyptian culture, but he'd also spent 40 years in the desert learning the desert. And I think the desert broke him. As we know, when he was 40, he was arrogant. But when he was 80 and God finally recruited him, he was a humble, humble man. And humility is such an important part of great leadership. Well, and how many people really ever rise to the level where they're leading four or five million people? I mean, you know, two two million men plus women and yeah. children. It probably was more than five. I mean, how many leaders are there in the world that lead that many? Not many, not many. Now, of course, a governor of a state would uh, have that many people in their state, but uh, not not many people at all. He's he probably had one of the greatest leadership roles in history, certainly in the in the biblical story. When you got out of the shoot and you became a leader. You wrote a story how you excelled in your natural leadership, and that caused you some issues. Why don't you share that story? Yeah, by the way, uh, Jim, the way the book is organized, as you know, is I I love top ten lists, and I realized when I was writing this book that there are ten letters in the word leadership, and it just sort of begged to be the outline of the book, and I and I have made the the ten letters in the word leadership the ten chapters of the book. Now, the last chapter is the one you're talking about. The P in leadership stands for the power of humility. I was a young leader. I was in my 30s. I had been to college. I'd been to grad school, went to seminary, went into ministry. And I was I felt I was God's gift to the world. Man, I was so full of myself. And, and I honestly was I know I was arrogant because what happened, uh, as I tell this story in the last chapter, my team that I was leading rose up against me and basically voted me out of leadership, ganged up on me after two or three years of me being their leader and said, we don't want you to lead us anymore. We're going to find a different leader. Now, it wasn't the kind of situation Moses had where they rebelled against God's plan. They were rebelling against my personality, and I said, why? What's wrong with my leadership? And they said, Hans, you're so gifted and talented, and you have so many great abilities, and you really do great work, but you don't care about us. You just don't care about us. You only care about yourself and your career and where you're going. And, man, was that a wake-up call for me. How hard is that to to hear? Yeah, it was very hard to hear. It was so painful, but it was a great learning experience. And that's when I began to make the shift from me to we. 
you know, and that made the shift to servant leadership, which we can talk about as well, because the S in leadership stands for servant attitude. But that that was a huge crisis that actually helped me so much in my career. Well, you'd never be able to write this book if that hadn't happened. That's for sure. And, and by the way, the title, Top Ten Ways to Be a Great Leader, I'm not bragging that I'm a great leader. I do think I've probably made more mistakes than anybody else, and that's why I have so much wisdom, because that's isn't that how we learn through mistakes and through trial and error? Yes, and so is. I've just chalked up a lot of, uh, of wisdom through through so much experience in leadership and a lot of failure, honestly. When you... You made a note, and I don't remember where it is at, but because you know, I grabbed some just thoughts as I read the whole book. But you mentioned that some leaders leave their mark, and other leaders leave a legacy. What's the difference? Yeah, well, making a mark is what you accomplish in leadership. And uh, you know, I've been—I was a leader of a big international, thirty-five million dollar a year nonprofit, working in sixty-five countries of the world. And over my twenty years as a leader, I, I accomplished a lot. Okay, we accomplished a lot. However, that's that's kind of making a mark. But I decided leaving a legacy is more important. That's what is your reputation? What will people? remember about you and i just don't care about people remembering what i might have accomplished i want my legacy to be hans loved his people he loved jesus he served faithfully he finished well he's a great father he's a great husband he has an awesome family you know to me that's the legacy what the people closest to you say about you that's your legacy so the difference between what you accomplish and the people you impact. Yeah, kind of what, what they're going to remember of you about your reputation and your integrity. That's legacy. You know, the, in my opinion, as I read the book, you really spend, you know, the top ten ways to be a great leader, your latest book. As we talked today with Hans Finzel, this book, and, and he uses the acronym of leadership, which is ten letters, and and. and takes each one of those breaks it out into a, in a characteristic of a great leader, a way to be a great leader. But it, in my mind, it's the whole book's about becoming a servant leader. I mean, it, it really is. I know the S is for servanthood, but really all of it is about becoming that great leader, and great leaders are servant leaders. Am I right or am I just wrong? You are absolutely right, Jim. Thank you that you picked that up. The The themes are kind of interwoven, and it is, if you could say, what is the general theme? It's how to be a great servant leader. The L, for example, in leadership, the first chapter stands for listen and learn, the two most important words in a leader's vocabulary. You won't be a listener to your people. You won't learn if you're not a servant leader. But if you're humble and you are a servant leader to your a team, you know, the way I feel is that I may be the quarterback, but I'm not going to make a single score without the entire team. And a servant leader knows that. And so if I help the team work well together, we're going to have a lot of great scoring. But that doesn't mean I'm the most important person. So you're right. It's all kind of woven together. Well, and I kind of figured that's where you're heading, and I like that because we all need – what I really what makes your book great as opposed to 
a lot. There's just there's some good books out there. But what makes your book great is your transparency throughout. You share from your heart of all the mess ups, all the screw ups, stories from your life, and successes from your life. But really, it's it's the stories. You make it real because all right, I'm writing this book. Let me just tell you how I messed up. Let me just tell you the things I learned along the way. That's that's it's like you walked. I felt like I walked alongside of you through a lot of those. You know, Jim, I've learned about the power of vulnerability. And some leaders think if I show any weakness, people won't respect my leadership. You know, if I show any cracks in the armor, people are going to think less of me. But did you know the opposite is actually true? If you are vulnerable to your followers, and I'm very vulnerable in the book, as you say, I, I admit my mistakes very openly. I have found that leaders, that followers respect leaders more if they don't pretend to be perfect and if they actually are vulnerable and admit their mistakes. And every once in a while in my career, I had to ask my team to forgive me. I blew it. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Do you know how powerful that is when a leader asks the followers to forgive me? It's huge. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in the power of vulnerability. If somebody's not a servant leader, what kind of leader are they? Top-down leader. Uh, in my book, The Top Ten Mistakes Leaders Make, the number one mistake, chapter one, is a top-down attitude, which is I'm the king. You know, I'm on the top uh. of the heap. And everybody serves me, and I do what I tell them to, and I'm going to control everything, and I'm going to dominate, and I'm going to make all the decisions. That's top-down leadership. That's the opposite of servant leadership. Now, at home, you, I'm, I'm sure your kids are grown and gone. How many yep. kids did you, did you guys have? Four. Four kids. You, how many, you got some grandkids now? Seven grandkids and two in the oven. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, number eight and number nine are coming in October. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Congratulations. So, and with, I, I just want to say all four of my adult children and their spouses walk with Jesus. And oh, that's the God. greatest joy of our life. So would they say that you're a servant leader, all your kids, your wife, those seven grandchildren? I mean, is that how they would describe you? I think so. You'd have to ask them. But yeah, I, my wife and I really have a partnership in our marriage. We've been married 42 years. And I think we're actually having the best time of our lives right now. We are just loving this emptiness phase of life. But I've awesome. never been a domineering father or a domineering husband. I'm a, I, I know my wife uh, definitely respects me as the head of the home in the biblical view. But we are partners. As we talk today with Hans Finzel about this book, understand that we're talking about leadership because each one of us desires to be a great leader. Whether, Like I said, whether you're in a small capacity leader or a large capacity leader, we all know that the greatest leader of all times was Christ, and he influenced more people than any other leader in history. In fact, he's still influencing. In fact, we wouldn't be on the air if not for his influence on 12 guys that he spent three and a half years with. Hans, as you put the pages of this book together, can you imagine Jesus reading it, and what kind of comments did you think he would have? <laughs> well, I've never thought of it that way. <laughs> he is my number one model of great servant leadership, but I have never thought about what he would think of. I, I think he would be... I think you'd be pleased with what I wrote because I'm very biblically oriented in my uh, teaching on leadership. Every chapter of this book 
has practical examples of real-world leadership situations. But as you know, I also have every chapter some scriptures and uh, different uh, illustrations I use. So I think he'd be pleased because it's a very biblically-oriented book. And it's transparent, and it's vulnerable. That's what I love about it. It's great. So let's just really quick... What are just do a little bit of defining, then we're going to hit into the acronym leadership and talk about a few of those points. But when we think of the word servant leader, what are some of those distinguishing characteristics of a servant leader? Okay, here's my definition of servant leader. When the leader cares more about the good of the team than his or her own enrichment, that's servant leadership. Think about it. A lot of people are fed up with selfish leadership in our country uh, and people and leaders who serve themselves, and, and it's all about their career and their portfolio and, and where they are headed. So a servant leader cares more about the good of the team than his or her own enrichment. That's that's the basic definition. And I think it's like a Philippians 2 attitude, Jim. You know, have this attitude in yourself, which was in Christ Jesus. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. That's a servant leader. When uh, I just was listening to one of the commercials during the break on your show, and you're talking about how, do you know the people that work with you and work for you? Do you know their names? Do you know their children's names? Do you know what their life struggles are? That's part of servant leadership. It's really caring about the team. And people don't really care how much you know till they know how much you care. You know, that's, that saying has been around for a long time, but it's true, and that's servant leadership. Yet there are some misconceptions out there about servant leaders. What, what are some of the common misperceptions? Okay, first of all, servant leadership is not slave leadership. It's an attitude that we're all important on the team, that uh, I may be the boss, I may be the owner of the company, I may be the pastor, but it doesn't mean I'm the most important person in the room and everybody, you know, it's all about me. Servant leadership, it's about we. But it's not slave leadership where, you know, I'm available 24-7, whatever you need, I'll do it for you. You know, that's, you know, you got to have boundaries. You've got to have limits. Uh, you've got to have a schedule as a leader. You can't just do every little whim that everybody wants you to do. And if you're a people pleaser, that's not good servant leadership. That's slave leadership. So I think it's really important that we understand it's not letting everybody else set your agenda. Right. It's truly valuing everybody and helping them in their work. Let's hit this acronym that you've written. You, you took the word leadership, and you put, you, you put a concept with each one of those, which is great because it just makes it easier to remember stuff. And, and we're going to go through these fairly quickly, but that's okay. You need to buy a copy of this book. Where can people get a copy of this book? Anywhere you can buy books. <laughs> uh, Christianbooks.com, of course, Amazon.com, um, BarnesandNobles.com, your local Christian uh, bookstore. If they don't have it, tell them to get it. But uh, anywhere books are sold, and it's available. It's a hardback, as you know, because we sent you a copy. It's a beautiful hardback, but it's also available in Kindle, and I'm just in the process of recording it for audiobook as well, but that'll be available in a few months. But right now it's hardback or Kindle. How hard is that? I'm going to ask you this question. How hard is it to record your own book when you're reading it? I mean, how? <laughs> I, I just, love it. I've is, done is, is it fun or is it frustrating? Do you ever, when you're reading it, do you ever go back like, oh, oh, I missed, I would have loved to have said this? Well, when you're reading a book, you have to read it verbatim. You can't, like, make stuff up as you go. 
So, uh, and my books, I have two audio books I've already published on audible.com. And uh, The Top Ten Mistakes Leaders Make, which I referred to, that's available. I've, re- I've read that book. And then another little book I wrote called The Power of Passion and Leadership. I love reading my books. And I have a studio I go to. I have a producer who, of course, edits my mistakes. But I totally enjoy the process. <laughs> That's cool. All right, let's get into this. I want to I want to thank Tony Parker for calling in from Tampa. He's won the book for today. Tony, thanks for being a listener right here on I Work for him. Thanks so much uh, for calling in today. All right, leader. The L, as you said before, the L in leader stands for listen and learn. And you said it earlier. This is one of the most important or the most important concepts for a leader to to learn. I say the two most important words in a leader's vocabulary is listen and learn. And when I talk about, when I talk to, uh, I do a lot of public speaking on leadership, and when I ask my audiences, how many of you work for a terrible boss? Guess how many people raise their hand? <laughs> you know, almost everybody has worked for a terrible boss at one time or another. When I ask them what made them so terrible, this pops up all the time. They just don't listen. They think they have all the answers, they know everything, they're so smart, and if they would just listen to some input, we would be a better church, or we would be a better business, or we would have a better service, you you name it. So listen and learn is the L in leadership. And when you see a leader that listens, how much more effective is the organization when you have a leader that is listening? Huge, yeah, because think about it. A lot of people in leadership are no longer on the front lines. Uh, that They've been promoted up to leadership. And so if they would listen to the people on the front lines, if, if you have a product you're selling or a service you're selling or a congregation you're leading, uh, you often get isolated and insulated as a leader. That's why you have to listen. So you stay so you're, whatever you're doing stays relevant and stays real, and you actually don't become bureaucratic and institutionalized, but you stay fresh and vibrant. And all that has to do with being a learning, listening leader. How do you learn? Well, I, like you, I love reading books. I love listening to podcasts. Uh, those are probably my two favorite things, podcasts and books. Okay. All right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we just finally got Bluetooth in a car, so I actually can do the podcast thing. It's pretty awesome. All right. So L was for listen and learn. E, you said, is for emotional intelligence. This is one of those ones, EQ, as you put it. Why is it so critical that a leader, a great leader, understand themselves in order to understand and lead others? Yeah. Emotional intelligence is a kind of a new field, and it's uh, the IQ is how smart you are intellectual. EQ is how smart you are relationally working with people, your people skills. How do you come across to people? How aware, how self-aware are you of how you come across as a leader? How do you do with conflict resolution? What do you act like when you're under crisis and pressure? I had a woman who worked for me once who, you know, every I had to fire a number of people in my career, even, even though we were a ministry. Yes, we had to fire people. And the people that I fired, Jim, I realized I always fired them because of low EQ, not because they weren't smart IQ. I had a woman who was so smart and so gifted, but whenever she got under a lot of pressure, she would explode. Uh, 
And people said, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells around her, and I never know when she's going to explode. Okay, see, that's bad emotional intelligence. And as hard as we tried to help that person, she wouldn't change, and she really wouldn't learn. And so we had to let her go. So EQ is people skills, relational skills. And you know what, Jim? 90% of effectiveness in a leadership role is your EQ, your emotional intelligence, how well you work with people, not how smart you are. Well, let's tie that to back to our whole theme for I Work For Him is that we're talking about the fact that our faith is interca- interconnected, interlaced, woven into the fabric of our lives. And in how does EQ fit into our ability to share what Christ has done in our lives so that we can be that spiritual influencer at work? You know, that's an awesome question, and I think we should be people of grace and people of forgiveness, and we should bear one another's burdens, and Christians, again, shouldn't pretend to be perfect. And the best thing we can do is uh, help each other with our weaknesses and pray for one another and forgive each other when, when we fail. To me, that's that's part of emotional intelligence. You know, some Christians are so—sometimes Christians are harder on each other than, than non-Christians. You've seen that, right? Oh, Yeah. And uh, and if if we were really a community filled with grace and love and forgiveness, once we see those weaknesses, we would help people grow in them instead of condemn them. So I guess that's kind of my attitude about that question. Well, and I it, it's that's I mean because that's the point of the conversations. We're all we're trying to be the best that we can be in our positions in our workplace because excellence really does give us a platform for sharing our faith. But it's all about connecting why we do what we do because of what's been done for us. I mean, that's it, right, absolutely. And, and if and if our EQ is low, and I got to tell you, as a young leader, that was a spot I really screwed up in. I mean, that is that is a spot that you know if you could well okay that's what i'm saying this book is very humbling for me because i uh, listen and learn the learning thing i figured out my dad told me 30 years ago jim if you ever want to change the world just start reading up 15 minutes a day well for the first 20 years i said well whatever whatever <laughs> I've, learned la- <laughs> I've learned in the last 10 years oh my goodness was my father right i just needed wow. to read and and the learn the listen thing i'm still working on that one i i, I am one of those be uh, you know that james verse be quick to listen slow to speak that is something i'm working on hey well, right. listen you're a radio host you got to you got to love to talk <laughs> <laughs> yes but the lord wants me to be a better listener than a talker well, like I- yeah, like I said, there's a reason God gave us two ears and one mouth, you know? Mm-hmm. That's right. And and uh, people don't like to work for people that, and I use a, actually the story at the beginning of that chapter, the E chapter is about a woman who just all she does is talk, 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 and whenever anybody talks, she, she, doesn't, she comes up for air for a moment, but she's just waiting for you to shut up so she can keep talking. And that's, you know, somebody needs to confront her and... Um, I told you my story when I was in my 30s, and I did get confronted, and it helped me grow in my emotional intelligence because I realized I had a blind spot, and the only way you can see a blind spot is for somebody to point it out to you. Mm, that's for sure. Somebody with sometimes, in my case, somebody with a two by four that it can say it to you. That's right. All right. Yes. So in your in your book, as we talked today with Hans Finzel about his book, Top Ten Ways to Be a Great Leader, and the acronym Leadership is what the book is based on. 
the A, the first A, well, I guess it's just one A in leadership. Sorry, I'm just figuring that out today. Yeah, there's the letter two E's, a, but there's one A, yes. One A, all right. But that, that letter A is for accessibility. How does accessibility make an impact, and why does it make somebody a great leader, and what does it mean? Well, accessibility means that I'm going to work shoulder to shoulder with my team. I'm not just going to be hiding away in my office. I was talking to somebody the other day. Actually, I was on a podcast for a a legal uh, podcast of lawyers, and this woman was telling me about the, 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 the head attorney who ran the whole office. Every morning he would come to work, walk straight to his office, not say hello, good morning to anybody, and close his door for the day. Okay, that's not great leadership. And people didn't respect him because he was so isolated and insulated. Now, years ago, back in the greatest generation and the builder generation, the leadership paradigm was that leaders were sort of in the corner office and the ivory tower. They were separated from the the common people, you know. But every generation has a lower power distance between leader and follower. And today, the millennials, I'm big on the millennials. I like millennials. If you're a millennial and you're listening, hey, I I love your generation. But one thing I know about the millennials, they're kind of in our face. Yes. And sometimes older people think that's disrespectful, the things they say to leaders or the things they expect. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. All right. As we talk with Hans Finzel about his book, Top Top 10 Ways to Be a Great Leader, you might want to check out Hans online. He's got his own website, HansFinzel.com, HansFinzel.com. Zell.com, and we'll have a link to that on our Facebook page. I work for him a little bit after the show. Hans, I want to take, I want to hit some of these other letters. You know, D, so L was for listen and learn, E was for emotional intelligence, A was for accessibility, D is for determination, E is for effective communication. But, and those are all, we, we've talked about those things all the time, but I want to hit resilience because this is something that's really meaningful to me, and I know a lot of people don't understand that what resilience is so the r in leadership is for resilience how what why is resilience so important as a great leader yeah it's sponginess it's the ability to bounce back and if you're rigid you snap under pressure uh like that lady i was talking about in the last segment but if you're soft and spongy and you don't suffer from what I call hardening of the categories, you know, then then you got to go with the flow. And when you get knocked down, which you will, you get back up. And when you fall face down, whether you failed or somebody knocked you down, resilience is the ability to bounce back. And it really is learnable. Well, I, you know, now that's a great question. I think, I hope so. Uh, I think so. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, you know, some people that are super rigid and won't relax and lighten up, and, and sometimes uh, their rigidity is founded in their theology, and, and they make their methodology their theology. Don't get me going on that. You know, the kind of people that think the hymn book comes after Revelation in the Bible. You know, those people. <laughs> I'm leaving that one alone. I am. Yeah, you better. I really, <laughs> I believe that resilience is one of those things that Jesus, in each one of us, Jesus came to redeem and restore that back to which it was. Because so many of us, our resilience has been impacted by events in our lives prior to today, 
and the, I, I just am I'm convinced. Now I'm not an expert, but I'm I, I've seen I've seen amazing things. I think I've seen Christ do amazing things in my life. I'm sure you've seen Christ do amazing things in your life yes. to change your resiliency factor. Absolutely, and I and I've trained a lot of missionaries going overseas, and I've always told them in my uh, training, listen, the number one key to being a successful missionary is to be resilient. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Resilience is about our capacity to bounce back from difficulties, disappointments, heartbreak, and hard times. And it, it will happen. Yeah, I, yes, it will. So R for resilience, S for servant attitude, H for hands-off delegation. That's probably the last letter we're going to hit today. All but, right. Uh, and then the other one's integrity and P for the power of humility. Yeah. But that, that hands-off delegation, what do you mean? Well, a lot of, uh, remember I told you a lot of my listeners and people in my audience just say they've worked for a terrible boss. And other than the fact they don't listen, the other thing that people hate are micromanagers. A micromanager does not know how to delegate well. And by the way, I think delegation is another word for mentoring and developing other people. And a good leader knows how to give authority with the responsibility, and that's hands-off delegation. I'm going to give you the job to do, and I'm not going to micromanage you and look over your shoulders with all these strings attached. That's hands-off delegation. Well, and you you go a little further into it where you talk about dirty delegation versus yes. clean delegation. What Dirty delegation. I mean, no, this is a rated PG show, so we're good yeah. there, but what do you mean dirty delegation? Yeah, in fact, that's one of the chapters in my book, The Top Ten Mistakes Leaders Make, is dirty delegation. But uh, I always talk about it here. Hey, did you know, by the way, Jim, the smarter you are and the more you do well and the more talented you are, the harder it is to delegate to others? Because you really can do it better yourself, and it takes more time to delegate than just to do it yourself. And a workaholic doesn't delegate. They try to do it all themselves, and then they get burned out. To me, dirty delegation is not something R-rated. It means it's the opposite of clean. It means you have all these strings attached. You haven't really given the authority with the responsibility. You haven't given it away. It's, you've got just all these strings attached and, and all these conditions, and you're constantly micromanaging and looking over your shoulder. It's the opposite of cl- a clean break where you say, here's the job, go do it. Now, I do talk about the four questions every follower asks in that chapter. What am I supposed to do? Will you let me do it? Will you help me when I need it? And will you let me know how I'm doing? That's clean, good delegation. Well, I really appreciate you, Hans Finzel, being on the show today, talking about your book, Top Ten Ways to Be a Great Leader. So thankful for the book, for the impact it's making on people all over the place. Hans Finzel, thanks for being on I Work for Him today. You are welcome. Thank you so much, Jim, for having me. We'll make sure we do it again real soon, real soon. All right. Sounds great. All right, well, we come to the end of another I Work For Him radio program. Really appreciate you tuning in today. We ask that you would check us out online, iworkforhim.com, or, in fact, maybe check us out on the website, on our Facebook page, I Work For Him. You're listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field. But ultimately, ultimately, I work for him.